0: Welcome to Beyond COVID, an IBJ podcast that's about getting your company to the other side of the coronavirus crisis. The podcast is brought to you by James Allen Insurance. I'm Leslie Weidenbenner. One key to being ready to restart your business when the economy restarts is surviving the shutdown to begin with. The folks at Indy Chamber recognized that reality early on and launched a rapid response hub to provide information and answers to local companies. A couple of weeks later, Mayor Joe Hogsett and Indy Chamber leaders announced the Rapid Response Loan Fund to help companies immediately. We wanted to know more about how that effort is going and who it's helping, so I talked with Indy Chamber CEO Michael Huber about the programs. Michael, thanks so much for joining us on the podcast today.
1: Thank you, Leslie.
0: So the cham- Indie Chamber has been doing just a ton of stuff in reaction to what's going on with the pandemic. I wondered if we could just start by you giving us a little bit of an assessment of how you think small businesses are doing right now.
1: It's really, really hard. And it's, it's, it's really hard for small entrepreneurial businesses that don't have a lot of scale and this experience has really made me appreciate how many i think especially restaurants retail businesses i th- I think of much broader than that, but I think of those two categories as how these are by nature high risk hopefully high reward ventures. but how much impact these small businesses have on the character of a neighborhood the the relationships that we all have with our favorite restaurants and our favorite stores, and it's just unfortunate. That this first wave of the coronavirus has shown us how vulnerable those businesses are. And yet, this thing will end. We'll, we, will, we will come out of it at some point. Indy Chamber is trying to help as many of these businesses as possible survive and get through this. And I know that I will have a deeper appreciation for this sector when this is over.
0: I want to get into a lot of the details, but one of the first things I want to do is find out when did you realize that Indy Chamber needed to have a response?
1: So it was around March 8th, 9th, and 10th, and I think the first shock was, and I think I don't speak for myself, I think I speak for all of us, it really got real when we realized the Big Ten men's basketball tournament, the rest of it was canceled, the NCAA basketball men's regional that was going to be hosted here, then the NCAA tournament was canceled. And you started seeing cancellations by major conventions because on one hand, while – we're very blessed in Indianapolis to have a diverse economy across many sectors. There's no question that we punch far above our weight, punch far, far above our population as a convention in sports city. And we started getting calls, the Indy Chamber started getting calls immediately, many restaurants, retail businesses, services businesses, that were going to either shut their doors, severely restrict their hours, and we shifted into high gear over that weekend, um, get, get, getting all these inputs from businesses that were closing or, or going through major changes. We decided the first thing we needed to do is, is put up what we call the rapid response hub because the information was changing by the hour in some cases, local and state public health directives, instructions from the federal government. And we just wanted to help small, small businesses that maybe didn't, weren't large enough that they could have an HR director tracking all this stuff to just have one place where they can go. And the traffic for that site was really significant. I mean, just in the last four weeks, we've had over 24,000 website visits, and we've answered over 290 unique questions from businesses. So, so we decided, get the info all in one place, and then make sure that you've got a live person when the business has complex questions. And the last thing I'll say, Leslie, on this, and this was just step one for us, was the most common questions in those first that first week was... Can I stay open? I mean, it was really basic stuff. Can I stay open? Should I stay open? If I'm going part-time, how do I protect my employees' rights? If I have to lay them off for some period of time, how can I protect their eligibility for unemployment insurance? You know, there's a lot of basic questions. We got, I mean, we got a disturbing number of questions the first couple weeks of what if I have an employee who seems to be showing the symptoms, what can I do? So and, and yet, I have to say for our indie chamber organization, we've shifted, you know 80%, probably more of our team where all they're doing is interfacing with these small businesses and they're, they're into it. You know what I mean? I mean, they feel like it's, it's an opportunity for us to be of service at a, at a very hard time for our city. And then, you know, we got into it. I could talk about this more about 10 days into it. We decided that we needed a bridge loan program, which, which we then created.
0: Tell me about how you found, figured out how to answer those questions. I mean, that's a lot. They seem like basic questions now that we've been through several weeks of this and a lot of information is out there, but in those, first few days, I'm not sure that people knew how to answer those questions.
1: So, you know, the short answer is we, we did our best and there are times when we don't have all the, the answers, but I do think this is where the way that we are set up as a business organization, the major functions being um, in addition to member the, the membership and member services, policy and advocacy, economic development, and small business services, we able, we've got a policy team that, that works very hard and works very hard to keep current our local, state, and federal relationships. So we were able to translate pretty fast what, what was happening in, in plain English. One of our most popular links on our site, and you can find this at response.indychamber.com. Is, a, is an infographic that sorts out what is the Paycheck Protection Program and what is the EIDL program and what, is the, um, what are the tax credits I may be available uh, eligible for. So, I think we're able to kind of consolidate or synthesize that information and put it in plain English uh, so it's easy to understand. It then became obvious to us, though, that help was coming from the federal government, which eventually was the CARES Act, and yet in that there was a, a very vulnerable segment of small business, we, we're focusing on the $1,000 to $25,000 small business loans that was going to be left incredibly vulnerable for a variety of reasons. And on March 28th, if memory serves me correctly, we launched with Mayor Joe Hogsett in the city of Indianapolis, a, uh, the Rapid Response Loan Fund. And the goal is to grow that to $10 million. Uh, we, to date, we have about $6 million in commitments for that fund. We're still trying to grow that fund. The goal of this fund was how can we service these, business, these impacted businesses, but service them very, very, very quickly because the federal aid that is coming in the form of the CARES Act is going to help a lot, but there still are great concerns about speed, There's never been anything of this scale, an aid package of this scale passed through Congress and straining our federal agencies and also straining our banks in their capacity. And the banks are doing the best, the absolute best that they can. And I do believe that the federal funding will be of a huge help. But the fact remains that in this segment of very small businesses that are impacted, think retail, restaurants, a lot of services, businesses, we still found that there would be huge demand for uh, a loan program that addressed that segment.
0: And Michael, how quickly did you see response from that? How soon did people start calling you for loans?
1: At the end of day five of launching the program, we had over 450 requests. Now, not every request will turn into a loan application. But I'll give you just some statistics, Leslie, as we sit here, uh, two weeks after we announced the creation of the Rapid Response Loan Program, 830 total requests, 392 applications, average request is about $19,000. If you take the total funding requested from all, just from the 830 requests, now not all those will turn into actual loan applications, but we're, we're up to nearly $16 million requested for a fund that we're going to have to hustle to, to raise $10 million for. Now, the best thing that we can do as a business organization is not necessarily to drive all these companies to our newly announced loan fund because for many companies, their best option is going to be the Paycheck Protection Program from the federal government, the EIDL. The Paycheck Protection Program, those will be converted to forgivable loans. And we want to make sure for eligible companies we're doing them a service if we guide them to the forgivable money first, right? Because the rapid response loan program that we've announced is about 3.75% interest. So we will want, we will, we will want uh, companies to pay that back. So the short answer is the demand was huge. And if they contact us, the first thing we try to do is to understand their situation and then guide them to the resources that are going to be of the most help. In some cases, that will be our loan program, which serves a smaller segment. In some cases, it will be helping them understand the federal resources. And there are definitely multiple streams. The best thing that a lot of these small businesses can do is call their banker. First, and 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 that's that's maybe the most common advice that we are giving right now when companies contact us to try to sort out their options. But for for small businesses that are in need of bridge capital between one and twenty five thousand dollars, our this loan product we've announced might be the best bet. And we're even finding for some companies who are eligible for federal dollars for the PPP dollars that our rapid response loan fund can be a good bridge to buy them, you know, four or six or eight weeks just to stay afloat until the time when they can access the, the federal dollars. So we're very, we're grateful to Mayor Hogsett's leadership. We're grateful to the private sector companies who who have funded our loan program. And, and the goal is to get uh, to $10 million and beyond.
0: Okay, let's take a quick break to hear from our sponsor. This is Beyond COVID.
2: As you work your way through the pandemic crisis, would your business be ready if this happened again? James Allen Insurance offers comprehensive and customized
1: pandemic coverage for business, including recovery of lost revenue. Learn more
0: at jamesalleninsurance.com. Let's get back to our conversation with Michael Huber, the CEO of Indy Chamber. And so have you started approving loans?
1: We have, yes. In fact, last week closed 22 loans and mounting almost $400,000 in funds. As I speak right here on a Monday morning, we have an additional 80 in underwriting. And so we have shifted. I mean, again, our Indie Chamber sales and marketing team, they're spending most of their time calling companies and advising them. Our events people, you know, we don't, we don't have a lot of live events. IBJ is not doing live events now. We're, all of us are doing virtual events. We've got them servicing companies. We've got our economic development team processing loans. So we've just shifted the majority of the organization to all they're doing is servicing small business during this time.
0: And give us a sense of what would be, a, I, I know the businesses are so different, but what are some examples of the kinds of businesses that are most in need of the bridge loan program that you're doing? Yep.
1: I'll just give you a recent snapshot of the 830 as of this morning who had inquired about 16% food and beverage, 14% real estate and construction, just under 10% we've, we've defined as retail. So that would be retail, not restaurants, other kinds of retail, 9% personal services and care, and then business services is big as well. So I'll go with restaurants first. Obviously the uh, social distancing and the directives that we're all supporting and trying to follow in order to stop the spread of this virus has put restaurants in a very precarious position and I would say with the restaurants that we've been working with, many have closed their doors and they're not sure if they're going to come back, which is tragic. Many have closed their doors in the hopes of coming back and we're trying to work with them. Among those who have closed their doors in the hopes of coming back, there are issues of how do they protect their employees' interests because a lot of times they they might they might have had to have reduced the hours or furloughed their employees, but they want their, they've want they're got really good staff and they want to keep those staff and they want to know what their options are there. Many of them have uh, done some creative shifts to carry out. We've had uh, some restaurants, as as you're probably aware, have even shifted into more of a grocery kind of business. They're going through their inventory, but just in order to keep the lights on and survive. I think the two most common things we're finding is guiding them to the federal resources that they're eligible for is number one. And then if there's additional bridge capital that is going to help them just, just survive the next several weeks, our rapid response loan product might be a good fit for them as well. The other thing that we find ourselves doing is on the HR or human capital. And they're just practical questions about what can what can I do with my employees. And we've done a few specific things. We have put up job boards on our response.indychamber.com with a growing number of companies that are hiring. Obviously, we don't, we're not the Workforce Investment Board, you know, employment agency, but um, Employ Indy, led by Angela carr has been a great partner in that work, as has Ascend, uh, the private sector funded organization led by Jason Clough in our, what resources can we route, you know, impacted employees two. And then we closely monitor what the state's doing with unemployment insurance, because obviously nationwide, the unemployment insurance roles have increased significantly in our state, they have significantly too. But I think the common thread is for all of these businesses that are trying to hunker down and just survive the next several weeks, we want to do as much as we can. It's becoming increasingly clear that it's not going to be like we flip a switch and, oh, we're back to work and we're back to school and we're doing everything we used to do and we're going to concerts and games. It's going to be something like, okay, everybody, we're entering phase one. Now these activities are okay. Okay, everybody, it's phase two. And so I see us and many others, but I see us being interpreters of that public health information because we are going to climb out of this. It's only a matter of time.
0: So it sounds like you think a lot of what you guys are doing is going to evolve, just like everybody else is evolving. I think
1: so, and and then I, I think all of us have to be really open and just know that the world is going to look different, even in eight weeks or whenever, whenever that this kind of phase one return. And as a as an organization, just trying to be open to that. I, and and you, you know, people are asking, well, what, what do you mean by that? The precarious position of these small businesses is one that I'm going to think differently about for sure. What are the community supports that are available for these entrepreneurs that weren't there before that we could tap into to absorb the blows of another pandemic?
0: I do think it's interesting. Most of us really had no idea. We have always known that restaurants, for example, work on very slim margins, Yes, but you don't really think about that until the moment comes when everything gets shut off.
1: Yeah. I mean, a JPMorgan Chase study that we cite regularly says it's a staggeringly high percentage of small businesses. And I know this is many restaurants that keep 15 to 30 days cash on hand on average.
0: So what are you advising small businesses to do to get ready for however this rollout of the economy starts?
1: So we we've tapped into other resources as well, beyond far beyond our staff resources to answer more complex questions from business and the kelly school of business um, the kelly school in indianapolis dr phil powell has brought to the table different faculty with expertise in finance operations marketing uh, and they've been such a great asset so phil powell i'm going to give advice that i've heard him give and that is just survive but also optimize clear clutter and that's both physical clutter and mental clutter because now now is the time. So, and I know this is stating the obvious, but it's like, it's an ideal time to get leaner. And these decisions that maybe that all of us, cause I do it, that all of us might defer toward another time. Those two projects just in the back of your mind that for five years you knew you needed to get to. That might be, you know, uh, organizing your accounting information. It might be literally clearing clutter that you don't need anymore. Now is the ideal time to do those things so that When we do have a return to business, you have fewer distractions as a business owner that you can focus on the absolute essentials. And then you also find, I I will say this too, not everybody can afford what I'm about to say, but trying to be of service to somebody else and trying to be of service to your community because a crisis like like this brings about all this stuff that I can't control and scary information that I can't control. And there's something about human psychology though, where if I can just be of service and just serve one person or just serve my neighborhood or serve one business in need, it just helps me cope with all of the unknowns. So in addition to getting leaner, clearing clutter, if you have have the additional bandwidth to be of service, I just find that to be psychologically healthy.
0: I think it's fascinating all of the ways that lots of small businesses have found to try to be helpful.
1: Oh man. I, you know, we're using the hashtag IndyCares, Leslie, hashtag IndyCares. And that's not a chamber thing. It's many organizations using it, but it's like, the stories are amazing. Like what Psalms is doing and you all have reported on Psalms as a restaurant and how they're delivering food to people in need. The hi-fi music venue in fountain square. This is at a time when no one is doing live music anywhere and and the Hi-Fi is having to make all these really hard decisions about their business and they're doing care packages for first responders, doctors and nurses and EMTs and, you know, they don't... I mean, they're having enough challenges with their business and for, for them to make the effort to do this, uh, 913 Sports, the, the Kids Riding Bikes nonprofit that uh, does so much great work in our schools has gone, just shifted its entire operation to food delivery for those in need. And those stories are all around us. That's one thing that in a crisis like this definitely keeps me inspired at a time where I need some inspiration.
0: Some of these companies may discover things that they didn't know they could do or ideas that may turn actually into something for their futures.
1: That's that's the hope. I mean, I have to think there are, you know, hundreds of businesses that if they embrace some of the positives of this very difficult time, I, I agree. I could see them creating new products and services and ways to reach their audiences.
0: Michael, if people want to find the Indie Response Hub, where do they go?
1: Yeah, you can go to response.indiechamber.com.
0: Great. Michael, thanks so much for explaining so much of what you're doing and thanks for all your work.
1: Thank you, Leslie. And thanks. Thank you for what the IBJ is doing, you know, in getting the information out to people through, you know, a lot of new media, a lot of free content. We just we really appreciate it.
0: Thanks again to Michael Huber. Let's check in now with IBJ reporter Lindsay Erdody about the latest in COVID in Indiana. Lindsay, welcome, fresh out of Governor Eric Holcomb's latest press briefing.
2: Thanks for having me.
0: What is the situation in Indiana right now, and what are the numbers?
2: Right now, we have 8,236 positive cases, and we have had 350 deaths so far. And we're looking at about 44,500 tests that have been done.
0: Where do state officials think we are in the curve of the virus?
2: So during today's press conference, Dr. Box was talking about how she thinks the surge is going to hit uh, near the end of April or the beginning of May, especially in Marion County, which is where most of the cases uh, have been so far. Uh, That goes against another projection we saw earlier today that was suggesting that in terms of our hospitalizations that we may have already hit our peak but they're saying that you know some of those national projections are looking at the nation as a whole not necessarily Indiana specific and some of the Indiana policies uh, that Governor Eric Holcomb has put in place and that's what they're using to model their estimates.
0: It doesn't sound like Governor Holcomb or state officials are ready to start lifting any restrictions yet.
2: I don't think so. We're going to hear more about that later this week, and I'm sure they'll watch the numbers this week. Uh, But even when we get to that point uh, today, Governor Holcomb was talking about how Mm -hmm. it's going to be um, kind of a stair-step approach to getting back to loosening some of those restrictions, but, you know, as of today, he's not there yet.
0: How is Indiana faring in obtaining the personal protective equipment that hospitals so desperately need?
2: The state has been working with about 15 different companies so far to purchase some, some of that PPE as we've come to know it, um, you know, face masks, gowns, face shields, things like that. And so far, the state has purchased 1.9 million pieces of um, th- these types of items that they're distributing on a daily basis. And they've also had about uh, 440,000 pieces that have been donated to them from various companies that they're also working to distribute. And they made it clear today that you know, if any other company that they're not already working with is producing these types of things or wants to be producing these types of things, they would like to hear from those companies.
0: So these are Indiana companies producing supplies. How many of them have switched to these products from something else?
2: Uh, most of them have, yes. These are all Indiana companies, and um, some of them were doing things that may have already been somewhat similar. Uh, you know, for example, there is a company here in Indianapolis that was uh, making... Um, I wear specifically for customers with larger heads (laughs) and they've shifted gears now to producing goggles and safety glasses and shields and those types of things. So that's, you know, somewhat along the similar lines, but other companies were uh, producing things for automotive companies or were um, making furniture pieces and They've also shifted gears now to being able to produce, uh, you know, some of these other things like gowns and masks and whatnot.
0: Thanks for the update, Lindsay. We will see you soon.
2: Sounds good. Thanks.
0: Thanks for tuning in to the second episode of the Beyond COVID podcast, brought to you by James Allen Insurance. You can find all of IBJ's coronavirus coverage at ibj.com slash coronavirus. And make sure to check out this week's episode of IBJ's original podcast, aptly named the IBJ podcast, hosted by Mason King. This week, Mason focuses on the perils of working at home when you have kids and a spouse and others all vying for workspace and attention. Tune in next Tuesday for another episode of Beyond COVID. In the meantime, be safe and have a great week.